electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, there's nothing wrong with a market led by oil. As long as oil's the general and the rest of the market, especially industrials, stand behind them. But right now, this crude general has no divisions following him whatsoever. And it's starting to make people feel wary and unsure about the future. Especially on what many consider to be the most important Fed meeting in ages tomorrow. When oil goes up, and it was up a bucket change today, the averages are now going down. Dow slipping 94 points, S&P declining 0.2%, NASDAQ coming 0.71%. And that is not reassuring. Before I drill down into oil, though, let me just say that in all the years I've been doing this show, and it's been on for a long time, I've never seen a reaction to an off-the-chart segment like the one we had last night, where I shared a history lesson from Larry Williams, the great technician, about how the market regularly experiences a late-June swoon. Remember, if you're trading, Larry says the ideal time to sell is this Friday or Monday. But man, it has been ages since people have stopped me on the street to ask if they should do something from the show. Suddenly, though, the prospect of a temporary dip next week is people wondering if it isn't time to ring the register now. To all the traders who are worried about tomorrow's Fed meeting, that gives them a great excuse to get out now. The fact that Williams is not saying get out now doesn't seem to bother any of these sellers. He's saying swap out next Monday. Swap back in by next Thursday or Friday. So I want to be sure that you're not just blindly following something that he's not saying. The guy's not calling the top. He's predicting some turbulence. If you're a long-term investor rather than a short-term trader, you know what I'm urging you to do? Ignore it, okay? Maybe you should do some buying. With that out of the way, and it was important to do because so many people talked to me about it, I think we have to talk about leadership. See, in any market, we've got a group of stocks that we really have to focus on, okay? 
groups that are able to shine even on down days. And these are the leaders, and pretty much any leadership is worth following, and it helps the tape. It makes it broader. If it's the banks, that could mean credit is bountiful, loans are solid, managers think I'm strong. We have all those right now except the last one, but the bank stocks are weak again. If the industrials are leading the way, that tells you we're looking at healthy sales and earnings for huge companies that pull their weight and then some. But the industrials weren't leading anything today. Very few managed to rally. Healthcare, well, that can be a terrific leader. Wide ranging. It's got healthcare tends to have some absolutely terrific pin action. Today it gave you nothing. How about tech? Of course, that's the ideal leadership group, right? Because the biggest capitalization stocks are all tech stocks. But even though the news flow is good, aside from a very long, very well thought out New York Times piece about the hazards for working at Amazon, big tech pretty much slept through the session or, of course, had a uh, bias to the downside. A couple of years ago, I went out of my way to, on this platform to scream that the oils had become uninvestable because of their collective cavalier attitude toward the environment, as well as their excessive leverage from reckless drilling. New, younger money managers, I was saying, weren't going to buy what they're selling. Now, though, many of these companies have got religion on climate change and a more environmentally friendly White House is making them less eager to drill. I've told you repeatedly that I like Chevron and Pioneer Natural Resources. I even like Exxon again after the board changed and, and got very pro-environmental. Which brings today, where the oils were a bastion of strength in an otherwise very unimpressive market. What's wrong with that leadership? First off, the surging price of crude makes it... How about we say it makes life difficult for Fed Chief Jay Powell, particularly for tomorrow's uh, meeting? Even as many other commodities have actually now fallen, and some fallen precipitously in recent weeks, oil keeps going higher. So when Powell gives his statement tomorrow and holds his press conference, he'll be tormented by the media with multiple questions about inflation. I've seen it. You've seen it. Powell's been adamant that disinflation is transitory. If not for oil, he could have fallen back on it. He could have pointed to all the falling grains, lumber, copper, and said, I told you so. Unfortunately, oil's too powerful and negative for the press to ignore. And I bet at some point he'll say he's monitoring it, which in this world means sell, 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 sell. Second, no matter what you say or do, the algorithms, as the program trading, that control so much of trading will immediately jump to the conclusion that oil demand is higher than expected, and that's inflationary. I have told you over and over that the price of crude is rising because of a reduction in supply. Part of that's a newfound discipline. Part of it's environmental concerns. Remember, when some eco-friendly insurgents snagged three Exxon board seats recently, it created a panic, just a panic in the oil patch. The only really sure way to cut down on carbon emissions is to cut down on drilling. Hey, maybe that's why Shell is thinking about selling its entire 260,000-acre position of prime real estate in the Permian Basin one of the hottest oil-producing regions on Earth. Now, almost all of the oil companies are being run for cash. They're no longer taking on debt to expand. Drilling rigs are not increasing despite the rise in price, and that is highly unusual. Of course, the traders don't care about any of this stuff, so neither will the press when they heckle and hector Jay Powell tomorrow. Third, President Biden made his choice clear when he wouldn't approve the Keystone Pipeline. I think that's a signal to the industry. Unless it's already been approved, you can rule out most pipeline projects on the drawing board for the next four years. And even if it's been approved, it might not be safe. But that's fabulous for the existing pipeline plays. Without new pipe, their existing ones suddenly have major scarcity value. They've been crushed by cutthroat competition. Now that's gone, and this has become the strongest among the strongest groups in the market. Put it all together, and you got a business that's a tax on the system and that doesn't do nearly as much higher as it used to. Oil is a general with no soldiers. 
It's a general who could force the Fed to change its tune and take a harder line and certainly hurt the stock market. Can Powell avoid an oil trap? Look, the Federal Reserve has almost always viewed any surge in crude oil as a transitory event. And judging by how oil prices move, they're right. I felt all along that when Jay Powell said inflation was going to run hotter than expected, well, then he'd be right. And that's what's happened. And he included oil. The one problem, there are a lot of reasons oil prices are surging here, and very few of them are cyclical. They're more structural. The government's made it harder to drill. The producers are showing a lot more discipline. Call it a rare bout of common sense. What could push prices down? More production for the Saudis and the Russians. Not going to happen. They're making fortunes. So let me give you the bottom line. Tomorrow, when the Fed gives its statement at 2 o'clock, I don't expect much change in language. But the stock market says that oil's leadership is so obvious that crude will clearly keep heading higher. And that means the Fed has to change course. Never mind weaker than expected retail sales, ridiculously low bond yields. Of course, the dirty little secret here is that higher interest rates won't do anything to create more oil supply. But you'll never hear that from the inflationistas. Let's go to Nikesh in Washington, D.C. Nikesh. Hey, Booyah, Jim. This is Nikesh here from Washington, D.C. I just want to say a big fan of yours. Watch your show every single evening. And just want to say thank you so much for all your investment ideas and Uh, everything you do and just your overall enthusiasm for... Oh, Nikesh, you're very kind. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I am fired up every day when I come out here. I'm fired up in the morning. I obviously don't like Discord. I like to see uh, everywhere I go, I like to see kind of very high-end... Uh, conversation about stocks, and I'm sure you're going to give me some, so why don't we get one? Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, my stock for today is Plug Power. Uh, I bought it around $18 and some change, and I saw it go up to almost 70 then it dropped to 30 with a bunch of mixed news. So I'm a long-term investor. want to know if I should uh, hold on my investment or should I buy some more at this point? If you hadn't said you're a long-term investor, I would have said, look, you got a great profit, and let's go. Uh, I believe in Plug, but they did have accounting regularities. I've gotten through the accounting regularities. The main issue now with Plug is that hydrogen is still too expensive. But we're going to stay close to it, and I think you're okay. Not great, not bad, okay. Let's go to Phyllis in my home state of New Jersey. Phyllis! Yes, hi, Jim Kramer. How are you? I am good. How about you? Okay, I'm a first-time caller. And I'm from New Providence, New Jersey. Oh, you're right next door to me. Okay, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you could take my call. You are a great teacher. Oh, thank you. That's what I okay. aspire to do. I aspire st- to be a teacher. Thank you. Okay. My stock specializes in organic indoor and outdoor gardening and also growth in the cannabis market. And the stock is Grow Generation. The symbol is GRWG. What can you tell me about Growth Generation Corporation? Okay, I've looked very hard at Growth Generation. We recommend it in the teens two days in a row. I never do that. It then subsequently went to the high 50s. I said, let's take profits. It's back to 40. I think it's okay. We need to see many more states uh, uh, allow marijuana to be produced. Uh, That should drive it higher. Right now, it's in no man's land. Okay, listen, the stock market has anointed oil as its leader, as it believes the commodity will continue its move higher. That means that the Fed might have to change course, or at least that they're going to heckle the heck out of Fed Chief Jay Powell tomorrow at the press conference. All mad tonight, a number of the world's top websites, including Amazon, the New York Times, and Amazon, went dark last week due to a massive Internet outage. Did it create a buying opportunity for a company called Akamai? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then as one of the junior growth companies, investors are lapping up in this market, and the CEO joins me tonight. 
Don't miss my sit-down with the CEO of Twilio, Jeff Lawson. And is it time to dabble? Get this. In the world of psychedelics, I'm eyeing a stock that could bring about an altered experience for your portfolio. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The senior growth stocks are finally having their day in the sun. Take Akamai Technologies, the world's largest cloud-based content delivery network, CDN, that helps companies ensure their digital presence is both fast and, most importantly, secure. When the pandemic hit, many of the content delivery stocks caught fire, like Cloudflare, which had a nearly five-fold rally last year. But after a 60% run from the lows through early September, Akamai struggled to gain traction. In the last few months, though, this thing's taken off, jumping more than 25% since early March. Akamai is a textbook senior growth stock. It's got 10% revenue growth, good but far from spectacular, and a reasonable valuation, though, roughly 21 times earnings. Plus, it's over 20 years old, thank heavens. That feels more enticing in this market, especially when one of their largest competitors had a major service outage last week. we got to ask about that. So can this thing keep climbing? Let's check in with Dr. Tom Layton, the co-founder and CEO of Akamai, to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Dr. Layton, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. Nice to be with you. All right. So, Tom, I find myself 
wanting to ask about the content delivery because of Disney Plus, because of Call of Duty, because of all the different Apple, because of every single OTT. But it's security that most intrigues me because it's growing so fast and because it's in the news. How can we make security be an even bigger part of Akamai because it is growing so quickly? Well, that's very natural. Uh, it's now 37% of our revenue in Q1 grew 29% year over year. So it will become a bigger part of Akamai. And that's because we have solutions that can really help defend enterprises. You've read the headlines, you know, the ransomware attacks, data theft attacks. It's a bad situation. And we take a different approach to security that can stop those attacks. Well, let's go over that. I mean, what exactly are you doing? I mean, everyone comes on the show, frankly, and claims they've got the solution. And yet I see solar winds. I see Colonial Pipe. And I say, well, if everybody has a solution, then why isn't the problem fixed? Well, the enterprises have to adopt the solution. You know, take Colonial Pipeline. Uh, There you have a situation where the credentials uh, were stolen. In fact, the whole setup of the way enterprises defend themselves is just not very secure. You know, you think about the uh, physical world with your office. Mm -hmm. Now, just because somebody has a key to get in the building doesn't mean that that key lets them into every office, every room, every drawer and file cabinet. You would never do that. But that's how enterprises are digitally securing themselves. Once you authenticate the firewall, you get in and you can go everywhere. And if you lose the key like they did, that means anybody can come in and go anywhere and you, and you get a disaster. So that model's got to change. You, you can't allow just unfettered access. And you got to double check who has the key that's coming in because maybe the key had been lost or stolen. Well, well I, look, President Biden cares about, about cybersecurity. Why can't we have some czar that just says, if this is what you're doing and you try to, p- to pay ransomware, we're going to prosecute you under an act that was started under Jimmy Carter, which doesn't let you pay ransom if for a kidnapping. Well, I, I think the, the, the government can really help in establishing guidelines uh, to help enterprises understand what they got to do. So you got to adopt a model of zero trust to security. Right. Uh, you can't just allow unfettered access once you're past the firewall. You got to do multi-factor authentication, really basic principles that there's many providers that, you know, that can help supply that now, including Akamai as a, as a leading provider of these kinds of services. And the government can help set standards for that. Well, that would help. Okay, so I am an early riser. I mean, I got up today at three. I mean, it's kind of like yesterday. And I like I have a routine. And my routine is that at 5.50 every morning, I go to MY Times. Okay, that's what I do. I mean, I do. I still, I mean, like, I'm so ridiculous. I mean, if I don't do it, I'm very superstitious. I think something wrong. And I get one of these messages which says it doesn't come through. And I am having a hissy fit. I'm, I fortunately was being driven that day. I wanted to pull over the side of the road. I'm on I-95. I'm going nuts. And I can't figure out how I'm going to get my guy to fix my piece. It turns out that it was fastly. Now, can you make it so that if someone changes their Internet configuration, everything else doesn't crash? Or do I, if I change my Internet configuration, can I wipe out everybody if I'm using Akamai? No, of course. And you got to do that. Now, it's not a surprise that this happened. Uh, Fastly has been very vocal that they push updates in milliseconds. And when you do that, you, you don't have time to check that it's okay and that there's not some unintended consequence. Uh, and eventually, when you keep doing that, you're going to blow up the platform. And, and I know because 17 years ago, 
The last time we had a major outage like that, uh, that happened to Akamai in 2004, because back then we did push, you know, these updates, you know, within a second or milliseconds, and we did get bit, uh, and it was bound to happen. And, you know, it took us a lot of time and effort and investment to make sure that never happens again. Uh, And in fact, it hasn't over the last 17 years. And, you know, they're going to have to do that, too. And it, and it will take a lot of time and investment. And companies, you know, have to decide what vendors they want to work with, not only for reliability, but for security. You look at solar winds, for example, because, you know, who you're working with will, will largely determine if you're reliable and if you get hacked. You know, Tom, I've been thinking because I started on the, on the web. I, I did the street. And we remember this in 1995. There is some degree of wisdom that comes from experience. And I find there's a lot of people younger than you and I who come on and experience means nothing, you see, because they got the best. But they don't know that the best means that at 550, Jim Cramer can't read The New York Times. And as far as I'm concerned, I am going to find out who did that. And I've got a special set of skills to annihilate them. But Akamai, you have been around. And what I'm hearing from you is that you know ways to stop things that other people just haven't seen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember what it was like to go through that. You know, I I was apologizing, you know, for two years (laughs) and we just decided as a company that will never happen again. Uh, And it took a lot of hard work, a lot of innovation, a lot of investment to bulletproof our platform so it doesn't happen. And the same with security. A huge amount of investment goes into the Akamai platform to make sure that it stays secure so we can keep our customers secure. Experience matters a ton. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, you're going for open heart surgery. Do you want to go to the doctor that is the low cost provider and says that they'll get it done the fastest? Hmm. Or do you want to go to the doctor that's got some experience and a great track record and the patients all come out well? You know, I, I know which way I, I'd go. Yeah, I mean, look, I love ready clinics, but as far as I'm concerned uh, for open heart surgery, advice. I like Tom Layton, co-founder and CEO of Akamai Technologies, whom I have known forever. And by the way, that's actually good, not bad. Thank you, Tom, for coming on the show. Ned Money will be back after the break. Coming up, after a year of major growth, have investors who twiddled their thumbs on Twilio missed out? Or is this Kramer fave just getting started? We've got the CEO next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Every time we get a red-hot inflation number, the highest growth tax... Well, they, they tend to get higher. That's what happens to tech stocks when inflation eats up. So why? Because inflation erodes the value of their copious future earnings. Look at Twilio, the cloud-based communications platform that helps huge companies like Nike, like Lyft, like Netflix connect with their customers via text, phone, email, video, you name it. After racking up a huge gain last year, Twilio peaked in February and got slammed. Just part of the rotation, nothing new with the company, out of turbocharged growth names. Never mind that business is good. No, business is great. Revenue up 62%. So Twilio tumbled 7 bucks today. But I think this is the kind of stock that actually gets cheaper as it goes lower. Plus, the company's doing a lot of good work on the global vaccine rollout. Earlier this month, we found out they're a key member of the COVAX initiative. And, uh, and by the way, they committed $10 million to help get vaccines to under represented group worldwide. I want to know more about this. So let's take a closer look with Jeff Lawson, the founder, chairman, CEO of Twilio. Find out more about how they're helping on the vaccine front and how business looks going forward. Mr. Lawson, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me back, Jim. All right. So, Jeff, you have a million different initiatives you can go to, and you seem to do all of them because you are such a charitable person and a charitable company. So why don't you tell me how you got involved in this vaccine initiative? Because to me, this is what's going to make people love our country for what we're doing. So talk about this patriotic act. One of the things about being a technology platform is that we find ourselves used for all sorts of use cases that we may not have even ever imagined. And as vaccine rollouts were happening, you know, first here in the United States, around the world, we saw how Twilio could be used to help get people to the vaccine, right? A lot has been said about how do we get vaccines out to people? Well, how do you get people to the vaccine? How do you educate them that it's safe? How do you coordinate the logistics of not just one shot, but two shots? And so we've been used throughout the United States. We work with California. We work with Texas. We work with a variety of states here. But we said this is not a U.S. problem. This is a global problem. How do we make sure there is equitable vaccine distribution around the world? So we got involved in working with COVAX uh, in terms of uh, helping with our $10 million grant to help them roll out those vaccines. But our technology is also able to be used by organizations around the world who have the same problems that those uh, had here in the United States. How do you educate people? And how do you get them out? We're looking forward to uh, our fulfilling on our commitment, which is to help 1 billion people around the world get vaccinated. So far, we've got about 250 million people. We think that'll be uh, about half a billion by this fall. So we're excited with the, uh, the work that both our technology, but also our money can do to help with equitable vaccine distribution globally. OK, so when I got uh, when I was able to find my vaccines, uh, there's a terrific woman on our staff, Heather Gaines, and she just kept going. We were just like checking, checking, checking the web, checking, checking every two seconds of refresh. That did not seem like a Twilio experience. No, what you really want to do is find out where the vaccine is, get notified when you're eligible, get notified when a vaccine is available near you, create that appointment all via text message, uh, get a reminder to show up, and then get a reminder when it's time for your second shot. Like, that's a proactive way. That helps people actually get to where the vaccine is as opposed to going to random web pages and hitting refresh constantly. 
All right. Well, let's talk also about what you're doing commercially, because there's something that you're doing. Everyone should read this paper. It's called The State of Personalization. It's uh, really an unbelievable, unbelievable document that really just kind of talk about where we are. And you launched Twilio Segment Journeys, which is really the maybe maybe the only way that people start buying things. And I want you to talk about these takeaways. But particularly, 85 percent of the businesses studied by Twilio Segment believe they were offering personalized experience. Only 60 percent of the consumers thought they were doing it. So we know the gap has to be closed. Twilio is closing the gap. You know, you experience that all the time. We all do as consumers, right? I've bought how many of these black shirts and the company keeps trying to market me women's hats, right? <laughs> Personalization is the story of how great companies are able to tailor the experience to each individual consumer. And that's not just done in like, oh, we've got two segments, men and women. It's like, no, you look at like, what are the products I've bought in the past? What what do I browse in the website? What did I put in my cart and then maybe throw away later? What do all those signals tell companies about how they can better serve us? And look, the huge tech companies are great at this. Facebook, Amazon, Google, right? They personalize everything based on what they think will interest you. Well, guess what? As we move into this digital economy, Every company needs to get as good at personalization as the tech giants are. And that's what segment and now segment journeys allows companies to do, to personalize those engagements across every channel of communications and across every touch point that a company has with its customer. If every one of those touch points is smarter and more relevant, well, guess what? You build a better relationship with that customer because you're listening to them and you build more repeat business with that customer. I could not agree more, but your, your friend, Mark Benioff, my friend, I've always been, I've disclosed that because we, he indeed is my friend uh, and a partner on some f- on f- foundation work. We believe that trust is the most important thing, brand trust. So you mentioned Facebook. And I have to come right back and say, well, wait a second. How about privacy? Are they mutually exclusive? Well, no, every company that's driving to understand their customers is trying to do that now in a privacy uh, centric way. And so when I go to a website, I don't want them sharing my data. That is not what this is about. This is about companies using the information you've already given that company so they can serve you better. And I think in many ways, the changes in our expectations of consumer privacy are making it harder for companies to figure out how to serve you because they can't go rely on things like Facebook. They have to figure out themselves, hey, based on everything that we know about Jeff and the fact that he buys these black shirts, like how can I sell him more relevant things to him and not go out and buy data from other people? This is about using the data they already have to make them more attentive, to make it so they're paying attention to customers. And that is what consumers do want. You and I both want omni-channel to be as powerful as possible. It's what Target has done well. Obviously, we've got Amazon doing it. What? Give me some examples of what Twilio is doing to make it so omni-channel is not being overlooked. Well, you know, it's using the right channel for the right purpose, right? You don't want to call a contact center anymore. You want to text with a contact center. You want to uh, have that conversation on the go. You want to pick the thread back up two days later when when you realize uh, the thing's not working again, if you're having a support interaction, right? This is about using the right channel for the right purpose. And when you do that, you know, we surveyed enterprise decision makers and we found that 96% of enterprise decision makers said they are going to maintain or accelerate their digital spend in the coming years. And they're going to add on average four new channels of ways to engage with their customers. 
And we, when we look at that, the modernization of all these workflows and the ways that we as consumers want to be talked to by companies, we don't want the same old things from 25 years ago. We don't want to call a contact center. We don't even want the standard email newsletter. We want things tailored to us, delivered us on the channel that we already use. That's really the promise of Omnichannel and having those conversations follow you from maybe a marketing message that you got to a sales conversation you're having to a support interaction. Shouldn't those all just be connected so that when you talk to a company, they know who you are, they know what you've bought in the past, they know what you like, and they're able to give you a really great experience. Well, that's what, that's we, what we don't get it. About. If we don't get it, we're going to go elsewhere. That's the way the world is. Jeff Lawson, founder, chairman, CEO of Twilio, and a philanthropist who's done great things, including with Help Kitchen, by the way, restaurants that I was happy to participate with. Jeff, thank you for coming back on Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. If you like high-growth stocks, Twilio may be, it's a cloud king, the one for you as it comes down. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, don't invest yourself until you inform yourself. Kramer did his homework and shares it with you. Next. Whenever I get a call about a stock I'm not familiar with, I take the time to do some homework and then circle back to you with a more informed opinion. There are a lot of new stocks out there. Often these little-known stocks are garbage. But every now and then we stumble across a really interesting idea. Some of our biggest winners have come from you, viewers who managed to stump me. Which brings me to last Wednesday. When a fellow by the name of Steven in New York brought up one that I didn't know. It's called Mind Medicine. M-N-M-D. You might want to write that down. M-N-M-D. A.K.A. Mind Med for short. I wasn't familiar with it, so I promised to do the research and circle back. As it turns out, Mind Med is, for lack of a better word, a trip. This is one of a handful. I still get excited about the job. Come on. This is one of a handful of publicly traded companies that are studying psychedelic drug use as a treatment for some very serious afflictions. Yep, you heard me right. Psychedelics. Think LSD. Think magic mushrooms. Ecstasy. MindMed believes these drugs can treat anxiety, ADHD, and even addiction. Now, if that sounds crazy to you, believe me, I get it. The idea of people dropping acid in order to improve their mental health is tough to get your head around. But you know what? The science on this stuff is surprisingly compelling. Look at it like this. A few years ago, ketamine was either a horse tranquilizer or a special K, a club drug, depending on your social circle. Now it's a popular treatment for depression. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing from some of these psychedelics. Right off the bat, mind meds caught my attention. However, this is also an incredibly messy story, maybe not surprising considering the business they're in. On the same day, Stephen asked me about the thing MindMed announced that its co-founder and CEO was leaving the company. At the same time, the stock roared. It was up 23% last week on incredibly high volume, in part because we just learned that this thing's being added to the Russell 3000 index. In the past couple of days, MindMed's given back a sizable chunk of those gains, although it's still up substantially versus where it was trading a week and a half ago. Now, before I get into details, you need to know that this is a tiny company that's insanely speculative. Stocks don't trade at three bucks and change because everything's great. But as long as you treat it like speculation, believe it or not, I am actually willing to give MindMed my blessing, provided you only buy it with money that you are prepared to lose. 
What makes this thing so attractive that I would give it my blessing? Like I said, MindMed's trying to develop actual psychiatric medicines based on all sorts of psychedelic-controlled substances. Believe it or not, my extended family has a long history of mental illness. I know, shocker. Although we just finished celebrating National Mental Health Month around the house. And we've heard some encouraging things about the studies on psilocybin, a.k.a. the magic ingredient in magic mushrooms. Okay, that's definitely not an endorsement because I'd never encourage anyone to break the law. But there are a lot of psychopharmacologists who believe this to be legitimate. And you know, major depression is something that, that every, so many drug companies have tried and failed to do, including some of the news today. MindMed, in particular, is a surprising number of early stage clinical trials going on because they work with drug companies, uh, drug, drug companies, the companies testing two different types of programs. They've got non-hallucinogenic therapies like microdosing on LSD as a treatment for ADHD. I kid you not. These they plan to market as regular medications, the kind of thing you pick up from a pharmacy. Then there are the actual hallucinogenic treatments, which need to be administered by doctor in person. They're testing large doses of LSD as a treatment for anxiety and also cluster headaches. Now, I have not been able to do a lot of work with headaches. I do a lot of work as the spokesperson for American Migraine Foundation. None of them recommend this to me in my network, but you take it, the doctor will be right with you. Again, I've not been able to prove this, and I've got a pretty good network. Right now, MindMed's partnered with universities to discover potential treatments, but they've also got three drug candidates in phase one or phase two clinical trials. The most advanced is what they call Project Lucy. Think Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which is the LSD experiential treatment for anxiety. Company expects to launch a phase 2B trial in the fourth quarter. You throw anything at this at anxiety. Then there's Project Layla. Hey, say what you will about MindMed. They got a killer soundtrack. With Layla, the company's studying a, a derivative of Ibogaine, which is a naturally occurring psychedelic as a treatment for addiction, especially opioid withdrawal. Oh, could we ever use that? Then you're in the end of phase one trials incredibly early, and assuming all goes well, wants to launch a phase two proof of concept trial early next year. Finally, there's the LSD microdosing drug for ADHD, which should go into phase two trials in Europe sometime in the third quarter. Microdosing is when you take a teeny tiny amount of this stuff on a regular basis, like a normal medication. Put it all together, and I actually think that MindMed, the company, has a compelling pitch. Okay, so that's that. Now we got to talk about MindMed, the stock, often two different things. In March of last year, this thing started trading on an obscure Canadian exchange. No, we don't like that. It only began trading on the Nasdaq after it got uplisted here in April. Late last year, MindMed surged from less than a dollar, really don't like that, to five bucks and change after the state of Oregon legalized psychedelics, something that doesn't have anything to do with the actual business here. Oregon is quite forward when it comes to these things. Was there a real catalyst? Nope, as I see it. Though the stock caught fire, it's part of the same speculative mania that lives the electric vehicle SPACs. After that speculative bubble pop, MindMed pulled back to three bucks and change. It rebounded to four bucks and change in February, before tumbling to 205 when the whole speculative edifice collapsed in the spring. Then MindMed caught fire again when the stock got uplisted onto the NASDAQ in April. Once it actually started trading on the NASDAQ, though, it sold off hard. With shares now back to $3 and change level, well, it's well off its highs here. Now, it's not the most straightforward story. MyMed recently acquired a digital health business. The old CEO just left, although I regard that actually as more of a positive because they're bringing a new team with more experience in drug development. Got a partnership with a Swiss startup to develop next-generation psychedelic compounds, shelling out millions of dollars to study this stuff, like $5 million, to help establish a center for psychedelic medicine. Where? At the NYU Langone Medical Center. That's where I do the work. I do my work. The Electric Ladyland Wing? Okay, it's not actually called that, but maybe it should be. 
At the end of the day, though, I've just heard so many positive anecdotes about psychedelics. You know, one of my former colleagues got into an experimental uh, psilocybin trial that helped him beat alcoholism. I was so thrilled for him. Um, it's been a total success, and I'm really proud of the guy. He told his story to Anderson Cooper in 60 Minutes not that long ago. You hear miracle stories about microdosing helping to cure intractable cluster headaches. So I think mind meds legitimate enough to speculate on, especially since the company seems to have a good working relationship with the FDA. But, and this is the mother of all buts, this story is ridiculously speculative. If you want to bet on mind med, you have to be prepared to lose all of your money because there are all sorts of ways this thing could blow up in your face. Maybe they can't figure out how to administer psychedelics safely at scale. Maybe the regulatory environment turns more hostile. Maybe one of MindMed's competitors, like Compass Pathways, beats them to the punch. But maybe, just maybe, Harvard professor Timothy Leary was ahead of his time when 60 years ago he taught that psychedelics could be the gateway to a saner, safer, more enjoyable life. Oh, by the way, that's why Richard Nixon called him the most dangerous man in America. The bottom line, at three bucks and change, I'm inclined to give mind med my blessing, but only for extreme speculation. While the stock's had an enormous run over the past year, it could have a lot more upside if everything works out. And it's going to take a little while. Just don't forget, this thing will blow up in your face if something goes wrong. At which point, you need to turn on, tune in, and drop out. Man, money's back in the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. Time for the lightning round. Country round. Start with Chris. Incanatic. Chris. Hey, Jim. Big fan, bud. I'm talking about Vertex Pharmaceuticals. This stock has dropped about 10% after another failed drug pipeline. Actually, that was, it was down about 20%, and I thought that was an overreaction because of its cystic fibrosis pipeline. And I think it's a good opportunity to actually pick some Vertex up. Let's go to Harvey in Illinois. Harvey. Oh, yeah, Jim. Thank you uh, for all your energy that you show and your past recommendations. Uh, just wanted to get your opinion on Turtle Beach. Well, you know, it's Turtle Beach is a, it's a Turtle Beach happens to be a crowded beach. I like Logitech with headsets. You know, my friends over at Wall Street Bets, and I mean that quite sincerely, being the most sincerely sincere man in North America, they like Corsair. And I think Corsair is good, but I like Logitech more. And when I say that I sincerely like them, let's go to Eric in Wisconsin. Eric. Hey, Jim. Uh, I sold after a big run, and Eli Lilly, is there a good re-entry point? Time to sell, Eli Lilly. I will go in aggressively when I do my conference call for ActionAlertsPlus.com club members about why I think that now I am troubled by Eli Lilly after what happened to Biogen. I want to go to Brian in Ohio. Brian. Jimmy C., the peacekeeper. How are you tonight? I be the peacekeeper in the institutional representative. <laughs> I am good. How about you? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, this boring and cheap stock is traditionally known for seating systems and mechanical assembly, but it's getting big into warehouse automation and EBRD as a post-pandemic transportation and infrastructure play. Tell me what you think of commercial vehicle group ticker CVGI. Brian, you, are, you got horse sense. That is one good stock. I am with you. Call me a buyer, particularly if the Federal Reserve stays the course. Curry, and that's my Philadelphia accent, not the Indian food, but a person's name. Curry in Minnesota. Curry. Hi, Jim. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I 
bought and uh, held Goldman Sachs over the last seven years, several years. And after hitting five-year highs this year, I started selling in 2021. Um, I understand don't look back, but I still like Goldman. Uh, given current stock prices, what would you consider a good re-entry point, and how would you calculate? Do you you and I were in the exact same boat. We let the stock go because we had a double for action alerts for the club members. And I think you want to let this thing go. And Maybe they announced the trading's not as good. City did it today. Yesterday was J.P. Morgan's turn. 350 is the level that I want to get back in. It's 350. And I would do it slowly. Can we go to Carl in New Jersey? Carl! Hey, Jim. Double booyah. Triple booyah right at you. That's All seeing right. you and raising Stop. you a booyah. Go ahead. <laughs> Stock I was inquiring about is VBIV, VBI vaccine. Oh, man, you cut me too quick with that one. My Jersey friend who just stumped me badly. I do not know VBIV, also known as VBI vaccines. We'll have to come back. Let's go to Petrina in New York. Petrina! Hi, Mr. Kramer. Hi, My fiance, Dave, and I love your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. We wanted to know what your thoughts are on Snapchat. I, I was quick to judge Evan Spiegel, thought that maybe he was too Hollywood, but it turns out, no. He was on the right side of the tracks. He's gotten it together. I welcome him on the show anytime, and I think Snap's a winner. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Jim Cramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. I think you know by now I'm a huge fan of financial technology stocks, but I've always had trouble making people understand exactly why I am. I used to explain that as a small business owner, I find the fintech firms more valuable to me than regular banks. But I never had anything definitive until yesterday when Jamie Dimon, the esteemed CEO of J.P. Morgan, got a question about the fintech competition at a big Morgan Stanley conference. Now, I do not want to put words in his mouth. So let me just tell you what he said. Quote, so if you look at like some of the things we, I mean, we got to be a little self-critical here. We could have done what Square did and we didn't, okay? End quote. For those of you who don't remember, Square is a fast-growing payment technology play, and they started making loans to their small business clients. They used their transaction data to figure out who's a good borrower. Diamond continues, and I quote, and so if you were at my management meeting, I tell them we could have done it and we didn't. We didn't have the imagination to do it, end quote. Yep, it wasn't about the technology. It's just that Square thought of it and J.P. Morgan didn't. Wow. 
Later in the talk, he mentions that his bank has legacy systems that have hurt them when it comes to rolling out new technology. Plus, unlike JP Morgan, the fintech companies have, quote, no capital requirements, no liquidity requirements, no social requirements, no insurance requirements, and no CCAR requirements, no resolution requirements, end quote. And a host of other regulatory hindrances that are inescapable when you're running the largest bank in the world. When you consider that JP Morgan's got $2.2 trillion worth of deposits, maybe it's a good thing they're not doing anything unconventional. But I keep circling back to what Jamie said, quote, we didn't have the imagination, end quote. Here's the thing. If J.P. Morgan couldn't dream up this kind of business, well, then how come American Express could? Remember yesterday we talked to the CEO, Steve Squeery, and he gave us chapter and verse about how Amex is coming after Square? Thanks to the recent acquisition of Cabbage, they've got a host of products that will be incredibly helpful to small business. Makes sense. American Express has a long history of promoting small business. Now, I'm not trying to be too critical here. The best bank in the world is J.P. Morgan. I hold Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan in high esteem. They've been my banker for most of my adult life, and I can choose any bank I want. I think it's terrific that he's willing to own up to his team's mistakes. All that said, if you're running an institution that tries to serve its clients, how the heck do you fail to offer something so simple and so delightful to your customers? See, to me, the real failure here is that the big banks seem unable to grasp what matters to small businesses, perhaps because these firms are all making fortunes working for huge companies. Why take the risk of investing in small businesses that have a high propensity to fail when there's bigger, safer money to be made elsewhere? In other words, I really don't see this as a failure of imagination. It's more of a somewhat nuanced, deliberate omission. As a conservative banker in a world where the regulators might look askance at loans that say are backed by receipts, J.P. Morgan's behavior is really actually much harder to fall. But then again, the customer is always right, and the customer needed these products. If the big banks can't provide them, it's obvious they'll lose a lot of business to the more agile financial tech plays. When you look at the market capitalizations of Square, $103 billion, or PayPal, $319 billion, it's clear this was a major missed opportunity. And that really does go for the whole industry. It's not like the other big banks jumped all over this. They all missed it. J.P. Morgan is merely the most honest about how it happened. So why do I love the fintechs? Because they're increasingly competing directly with the banks, even as they're not regulated banks, which gives them an enormous leg up, an enormous advantage that the old brick-and-mortar guys may never be able to catch up to unless the government changes the rules. And I don't think that under this administration, we will wake up and see changes that favor the old dogs, no matter what they do. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.